And welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I am Trip Mitchell. That is Randall Carlisle. Hello, Trip. And Randall, you know, last week's show you were wearing the same shirt. We'll let you in on a little secret. We record two shows at a time, so that's it. It'll oh be, my God! Yeah, I be, behind the scenes in broadcasting. Yeah. So, when did you learn in broadcasting? What day that you can't see everyone at home when you look at the camera? I think one of the first days, <laughs> you know, and 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 people say, you know, I, I they still say it. They'll say, I, I, you know, I had you in my bedroom every night at ten o'clock. So, <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> What was the biggest mistake you made in broadcasting? Uh, I'm trying to think. I, I got really, I got really, I was working in Colorado Springs and we had like three or four live shots planned for the first segment and not one of them, I'd, I'd toss to it and it'd be like... Dead air. Saying, they'd say, no one's there. And then I go, well, we're having technical problems. And they'd say... Well, let's move on to this story. And I'd say, and so-and-so has this story live from... And it went through four live shots that there was no one there. Couldn't your director have warned you that maybe there's... One would think so. And I, I, was, I was extremely angry. And, of course, I was much younger then and more volatile. And when we went to a commercial break, we had a camera up in the corner of the studio. We called it a bump shot. And, and so there'd be a little music, and, they'd, and, and so after four dead live shots, I said, we're going to try to, and I was trying to be calm, I said, we're going to try to fix things, and we'll be right back after this commercial break. And they went to the bump shot, and I, back then we had scripts, not computer stuff, and I, and I stood up and I started swearing and throwing my <laughs> script everywhere, and it was on that shot. So, oh, really? Yeah. It, so it went out? Yeah. Fantastic. What did your news director say to you? I was news director. Oh, what did you say to yourself? <laughs> it would be my general manager, what he said to me the next day. And he said, if that ever happens again, you're fired. So I said, okay. <laughs> what can you say? I screwed up, you know. So, and I've but, but, but I think people at, at home, they might not forgive you for doing something like that. But, but I think they could at least understand because it's very frustrating it's like when we all look like idiots and you're the anchor person and you're the front idiot, you know, and it was just very frustrating. Yeah, you know? well, those are fun. We'll get to some more fun stories. But in the meantime, the show Odyssey House Journals is about recovery and both Randall and I are in recovery and... Uh, Recovering alcoholics, <coughs> in case you're interested. Yes, and we both had a lot of experiences and, and found recovery to be wonderful and I've been going after it for about 15 years. and, and I'm, I'm going for seven now, so we're semi-long-term. Yeah, and, but what I found, and in, in, I met Randall actually at an AA office yeah. just across the street, yeah. and what we've done is had some amazing guests through Odyssey House and through Randall's 25 years, 30 years being a TV broadcaster here. You've met some amazing people. Sure. And recovery is one of those things that you'll be surprised there are a lot more people in recovery than you would ever guess. And there are a lot more people who their goal is to help you recover. Sure. And so that thousands is Thousands really... and thousands of people. The recovery community in, in I suppose, everywhere, but in, as I'm learning working at Odyssey House, it's huge. I mean, different organizations, different groups. Last week we talked about a bakery. Uh, you know, there's just, there's, there's... Usara, uh, there's just so many, there's sober bowling, there's sober golf, there's sober softball leagues. I mean, there's just a, 
awful lot in recovery that you can do. And one of the things that we point out is that we do have a lot of people who culturally have never had a drink or, or, or a drug that get sucked into this. And in many cases, you have an injury, you might get prescribed a, a pain reliever, and that pain reliever all of a sudden takes over and causes you to do things you never thought you'd do. Yeah. And it cuts across all swaths. Right. Churchgoers, non-churchgoers, it's, it's an indiscriminate... Brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, aunts and uncles, everybody. Yeah. We've seen that. And so throughout the show, we're going to have the number for Odyssey House up on the TV show. If you're listening online, if you're on, what services is the podcast? iTunes on? and Spotify. It's Very called good. Odyssey House Journals. You just have to go in the search area of those and it'll click, click on. And it's a picture of me looking at a big booze bottle and perplexed. So it sort of, <laughs> it sort of says it all. And our number... So for those listening, 801-322-3222. That's admissions at Odyssey House. And if you call Odyssey House, there is no pressure. Odyssey House is just one of hundreds of great, great organizations around the valley that are there to help you. And they're not going to push you in any way, shape, or form. But it's a great way to find out some websites, some kind of no-pressure situations to look up and get more information. We're very fortunate in the digital world now yeah. that information is just everywhere. It's there. You know, last week, you might think I like food. I like food a lot more since I quit drinking, okay? And and last week, we were talking about a bakery. And yeah, you still have some of that around. Don't eat it on the air because you'll have a string hanging yeah, around. I, so, yes, it yeah. was not the great, the caramel so Anyway, stalactite. I met this gentleman through food as well. Everybody thinks about a treatment center or treatment programs as being all hard work, which they are. But that doesn't mean that people don't have fun, don't learn skills, and don't do different things that you might picture. And so I met him through, we had, recently we had, what was it called, Battle of the Chefs? Battle of the Chefs, and then we also had Battle of the Houses, which was between right. the three, this is Jesse the Milano. three main Odyssey houses. And, and so uh, recently we had our Adult House, our Mill Creek House, which is where he is, and our Lighthouse, which is another one of our adult programs, the people who run the kitchens in each of those compete against each other and the staff and the administration of which I'm a part had the tough job of being a judge. And so the theme was Italian night. And so each house did a appetizer, a main course and a dessert. And we had to eat all three courses from each house. So that would have been nine. So, and his house won. Well, congratulations. Yeah. We we wouldn't have anyone on the show except for a winner. Yeah, you know, we're clearly a winner. <laughs> That's how I got to Odyssey House, right? <laughs> yeah, you made all the right decisions. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me your story. It's an incredible story. Uh, shoot, man. So I grew up, I'm from Price, Utah, Carbon County, Utah. So Which, as we've learned on the show, is a heck of an addiction problem down there. Yes, yeah, it has the highest overdose rate in the nation. So... It's a farming, and, so it's ag agricultural uh, and then industrial. There's mining and, and then the oil field is down there. So you, you wouldn't think that it's a bunch of cowboys and, you know, coal miners. You wouldn't typically think that heroin addiction or methamphetamine or, or whatever would be an issue, but it absolutely is. Um, when the Oxycontin epidemic exploded onto the market uh, in the early 90s, most of the injuries in that area, right, 
are, are significant injuries. And so they just were throwing Oxycons at everything because it was the new safe pain medicine, right? Like, um, <laughs> and the way that Purdue got away with it, saying that it was safe is that they had to if taken as prescribed by your doctor, right? And so I've, I've done a lot of research into this. Yeah, it sounds like then. He, yeah, yeah. you could be in a, a tort lawyer. So, so it, it was everywhere, right? Um, I got hurt when I, I remember. So there's two main instances in, in my youth that, that stand out to me that since I've figured out were like catalysts in my journey, right? So I, I got hurt in Little League football in sixth grade. I separated my ribs um, clear to the back. And wow. I was prescribed Lortabs at, the, at that time. So you're 12 years old. Yeah, sixth grade, 12 years old. So I'm sitting on my couch, and I was just smoked, man, just peeled back. And I remember thinking, this is what everybody must feel like. Because I always felt different from everyone, right? I always was uncomfortable. I, I didn't know where my place was. And I, um, and I remember that thought just, just ringing true, right? Like, because I always felt insecure and inadequate. And, and I don't know why. It was just how kids feel, right? Um, and the lore tabs made you whole at the time. Yeah, yeah. It made me feel like this is what yeah. people are supposed to feel like. And then shortly after, I had to get an apodectomy. I had to get my appendix removed. And I got pneumonia while I was in the hospital. So my time was extended. And I was being given morphine, right? And I, re- I, would st- I remember clearly staying up to get my evening shot and then I would put it on MTV and watch Beavis and Butthead and that was like the greatest thing ever right I'm like this life is, is the, good this is the life right and uh, I got out and I experienced what withdrawals were for the first time I had no idea I know now what well, it was. what's really scary Jesse about this story is you're 12 years old all of a sudden feeling the not only the pain numbing effects of narcotics but also that it felt good right that's scary I mean I <clears throat> You were addi- if if you were getting dope sick, then you were addicted. At the time. Certainly, absolutely, uh, and it didn't just numb my physical pain, right? That was the other side of this thing, all that emotional pain that I had, yeah. that I didn't know what to do with because I was a kid, right? Wow. So, I, I remember going to school right after I got out of the hospital, and I still I was I just was sick, you know. I felt like I had the worst flu I've ever had in my life, and and it went away over time, but I always. I always played sports growing up and rode motorcycles, skateboarded, snowboarded. I was a maniac and I always get hurt, right? I'm not the best at wrecking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's an art to wrecking. Yeah. Up. So I, I would get hurt and I would get pain medicine, right? And and it was, I just, that was normal to me. And it never, you never saw the, and that, you know, the fact that pain medication made you happy, you just wrecked and yeah, it was, was a just, byproduct. Yeah, it was just, the way life was. My family were all Italian immigrants, alcoholics, right? So my dad from a very young age was like, if you drink, you're gonna be an alcoholic, so don't drink, right? And so I was scared to death of drugs and alcohol. I was never gonna touch anything. Meanwhile, the pill that I'm taking pills and becoming addicted to them, right? Like there, there, was, not, there was not a really loud voice in our society at that time about what pain medicine did. And <clears throat> I soon found out that in medicine cabinets all across <laughs> Carbon County. Carbon County <laughs> was a treasure trove of emotional and physical pain relievers, right? 
and that that's just my I would go to somebody's house, and, you know, hang out wherever I was, and eventually, you know, you go use the restroom, and and part of, I'd use the bathroom and wash my hands, and then while I'm looking in the mirror, I'd crack the medicine cabinet open and scroll through, and I, there was a point in my life where there were several years that went past where I I wasn't successful in finding something in every medicine cabinet that I looked in, and then right like you watch for things, you start to notice, oh, my buddy's dad broke his knee. <laughs> Right, so I'm gonna or, go over or there. Somebody's going in for surgery. Yeah, right? like Whatever. you, you know, you listen, you pay attention. Yeah. You, you know, if you're an intelligent person, you know what you want and how to get it. And by the time uh, that I was in high school, like w- the group of friends that I hung around with, we all uh, we we were professional parties. drug thieves. Yeah, well, and partiers. You know, we, we drank, we smoked marijuana, we did cocaine, um, and we did. Were co- you still in athletics at the time? Absolutely. Yeah. We did copious amounts of Oxycontin. I mean, I had a habitual habit with everything, um, but I started to realize if I didn't have this, right, I, I would suffer from withdrawals. And so we started we started selling them then, right? And and so now I look back. So by the time I graduated high school there really wasn't many people in the school that weren't on Oxycontin, right? Wow. And, and then, and we were also distributing How, how big was your high school? I don't know, a couple thousand people. So, Price High School? Yeah, Carbon High. Carbon High, and you would say a, well over 50% were... I'd say way higher than that. Wow. Or at least experimenting with <clears> it, right? And, and everyone in, in my group of friends were all addicted. Every single one of us, right? Um, we played... I played music from a very young age. I'm a musician. And so we had a band that was quite successful at that time in my life. And it just, we were little model rock stars with little model rock star habits and lifestyles, right? And, and groupies. Then, and then that's what we did. And that was that was normal <laughs> yeah. to us. That's how that's what we grew up doing. And well, the perception of rockers having drugs and alcohol issues <clears throat> is not foreign, but people growing up in a rural community... That, you know, having, let's say, 70% of the kids at Carbon High addicted, that, how many years ago was this? Uh, was, I graduated in 2001, so it's 18 so years 18 ago. years ago. Do you think it's gotten better since then? No, I think it's gotten worse. Because after the spotlight got put on pain medicine, uh, right, the natural order of things was illicit drugs were right there to take the place. Highway 10 and 6 cross in Carbon County. So if, if you're running drugs right anywhere in the western united states you can access highway 10 or 6 and then get to i-15 i-215 i-80 right so it was just a natural place for it to just be right because of the way things yeah if you're coming up from 70 the shortcut exactly coming right through price and so it just exploded and I was I was not there when the heroin exploded in price. I was here in Salt Lake. And and so to help us out, Jesse, people get to heroin because they can't get oxys. Yeah, so Is you that get the, hurt, right? Like you get prescribed. Typically, you get prescribed too many pills and too high of a dose, or maybe not, right? But our society today, we're like we're afraid of pain. Everyone's afraid of pain, right? You take pain medicine or everything. You take a Tylenol if you get a headache. And, first 10 seconds right you don't just wait it out and just sit and be uncomfortable with things and so uh 
if you have a doctor that's doing their job, whether or not you got prescribed too much or, for, or too many, at a certain point, you can't justify why you need more pain medicine, right? And so withdrawals are a really bad form of pain, right? Like this is the worst shit that you ever go through. Emotional, physical, your spirit hurts, you know? Um, and it's just... So where did, where did you progress to then? What so happened? I got to Salt Lake and, and, and Oxycontins were so freaking expensive to buy. I mean, we, it was costing $80 for one pill and I was doing, you know, 10 of them a day. So I'll do the math for you. That's eight hundred dollars. Eight hundred dollar a day, yeah. day habit. So uh... when you get to the point to where you can't sell enough to feed that habit, what do you do? Right? You lie, cheat, still, and you become a criminal. Like that's just the way things are, unfortunately. And so I began stealing. I began lying, manipulating, um, which all led me to where I'm at today. Right? Because I have a laundry list of criminal background of different charges that I have. And my twenties is a blur. I, I, there's not much I remember, you know, it, it, it's all pretty much just a jumbled one or two memories, which is just me getting wrecked. Um, everything fell by the wayside, music, art, my, you know, caring about other people. It was just me that I cared about. Um, and, and so I'm a 25 year opiate addict and I've been using intravenous heroin for 15 years so um the longest time that i'd ever maintained any kind of clean time was any stint in and out of jail um i was fortunate enough to get into a drug court when i was 30 years old and i made it i was almost five years uh, of clean time in that five years um my brother died i was three months clean when my brother died he wrecked on his longboard in logan and uh died from from head trauma and then the majority of my friends have all died um overdoses car accidents um pneumonia just just you know liver failure things like that the majority are overdoses though so all that pain i still didn't ever figure out how to in, in my whole life i had never figured out how to deal with emotional pain or physical pain and so as i come into being an adult um I have caused myself so much more physical and emotional pain that I just kept trying to, to deal with it, right? Just to be normal. I wasn't getting high anymore. I mean, I'd get high for a few minutes, but the majority of it was just a maintenance thing, trying to not be Feel a total horrible. emotional, physical, and spiritual wreck and not go through withdrawals. But I couldn't maintain. I, could, I had no... From the outside looking in, like I, I had no quality of life, right? There was no normalcy in my life. I could not function in society as a regular human being. I was just a train wreck in every sense of the word. And um, when, I, when I finished the drug court, you know, I had, I had uh, started tattooing. Um, I have like six years of secondary education. No, no diploma, but it's all for art. Um, so I applied that to something I wanted to do, so I became a tattoo artist and um, was playing music again regularly. Uh, playing shows and playing arts festivals, things like that. So things know. were going well. Yeah, things were great. Um, but I still had all this past trauma that I had never addressed, right? I addressed all the shit that was going on with me right then, but like I, I wasn't figuring out things that had happened 10 years ago and why that was affecting me still. And I, I know now that was a huge reason why I relapsed. 
Um, and I don't know why I relapsed, right? I was working in my garden one day and I just set my shovel down and like, I don't know if it was a combination between the song that came on the radio and the smell in the air and the time of year, but I just set my shovel down and walked across the street to one of my very best friends who's my neighbor and I stole from him stole because he just had uh, kidney stones. I went and stole his pain pills. And within two weeks, I was back to doing almost a gram of heroin a day. Um, and then after that, it was just the speed at which I destroyed my life that took me five years to, to build was astounding, right? Like over a couple of months, I, wasn't, I couldn't see my children anymore. Um, I had cellulitis in my leg uh, and was looking at possibly an amputation in my leg because the infection was so bad. Um, I lost my house, lost my car, lost my fiance. Uh, my relationship with my mother and my stepfather were, was, you know, iffy at best. Um, so you build something good for five years and in five months, you lose everything. Absolutely. And now, I, now, people watching would say, especially somebody who has no knowledge of addiction or experience with somebody who's in addiction, that's crazy. Why the hell would you do that? I mean, describe what, I mean. So it's not like you wake up in the morning and as you're gonna, sipping your cup of coffee, you think today's the day. I'm going <laughs> to screw up my life. I'm just getting rid of it all because the pressure's too much of living a normal life, right? Whatever normal is. Yeah. Right? It's a progressive thing. It's a chain of events that starts way back months or a year before, like stuff that you don't even realize, right? So that's one thing with Odyssey House. I've gotten in trouble quite a bit, right? And so every time I've gotten in trouble, they do these interventions where I had to do a chain, a behavioral chain analysis called a BCA, right? And anybody who's watching from Odyssey House knows what I'm talking about, okay. right? You get a border and a BCA, and you have to work off hours to earn your keep back into the house. And the behavioral chain analysis helps you examine clear, but like what was the chain in the links, or what were the links in the chain Leading that how I to... got here? Because I didn't just wake up and relapse, right? I didn't just wake up and decide I was going to chew in treatment, even though I'm not supposed to, right? Like, what what happened clear back here? And so. The first time I did this, I didn't, it was whatever, right? I just rushed through it. A couple of weeks ago, I got my seventh one, you know? So, <laughs> he's, a, he's a rebel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty good at them now, and I understand the way they work. And but our, our viewers might res not respect, but understand, you, you don't walk in and change completely when you made a not. decision. If, you, to, if you're if looking you're, at weights on a scale, 25 years of, of, of doing these the wrong behaviors thing. versus you know, a few months or a few years, it just doesn't weigh out. And over time it does, right? But do the next right thing. Yeah, absolutely. When you're in Odyssey House, do you resent the authority or how do you look at that now? So sometimes, I mean, there's times where I'm like, this place is a mess and these people and, and all this, right? Well, the reality is, is they, it's not the, the staff, the treatment team didn't give me a can of chew. Right, and say, even though you're not yeah, supposed to chew, yeah. right, or whatever the, the the case may be. Like I made those decisions, and I chose to to do this thing, um, knowing full well the consequences. And so, and also the treatment team is made up of people 
they graduated Odyssey House. You know, and that's and one of the... Lamar, they understand. They know what's going on. So They've been there. Yeah, so the, to think of it as, you don't understand. I can't play that card anymore, right? <laughs> right. Because well, they do understand. And they can see through. Absolutely. And and that's so that one of the, the things about Odyssey House, right, is we're best seen through the eyes of our brother. Therefore, the brother must open their eyes and speak honestly about what he sees. If I'm in my, my behaviors and I'm in my mess, I don't see it, right? I, it's, oh, sure, I'm deflecting, I'm blame shifting, it's, you know, I'm closed channel, this is your fault, it's your fault, you did this, the world is, you know, but if my peers are sitting around and they're like, dude, are you okay? Because this is what I see, right? And it's not a judgment, it's an honest observation of what I'm doing in my behaviors, then it helps me, like, whoa, maybe I need to look at that. What's going on, right? And, and you know, you, some, some of the cool things about Odyssey House that I've learned from Randall and our guests is that when you screw up, everyone holds you accountable. For oh, yeah. And so you go into a meeting where people will tell you why your behavior hurt them or hurt the group or whatever it did, mm-hmm. and that honesty is brutal. It is, absolutely. And when you're in recovery, honesty is the most important part of recovery to admit to yourself that I've been and, hurting and people. the hardest part. No question. My whole issue, I'm, I'm, I, I was married four times, and, and every one of my wives said, you're an alcoholic. And I said, no, I just drink a lot. <laughs> I mean, you know. I have you a were, job. You right? were a jerk. Yeah, I have a good job. Mm-hmm. Why are you complaining? Uh, you were a, a, a jerk last night. Well, I thought I was funny. I mean, it's the perception of somebody in addiction versus somebody who's not. Is I mean, It's, it's about as wide a, a chasm yeah. as you can get. How are you doing now? I'm in the best place I've been in my whole life, as far as like inside, right? And I and I, I don't have as much clean time as the last time I was clean, but you know all the things that I've learned along the road to get here, I didn't lose right when I relapsed. Um, everybody says uh, addiction is a progressive illness, right? I also believe the other side of that is so is recovery, right? It's progressive. Because mm-hmm. I don't just wake up and say, okay, I'm to start over and forget all the stuff that I've learned, right? right? I remember all those things. And then I can say, oh, yeah, I can see how I was thinking this way and I did this thing and it led me down this, right, the, the, down this chain. Like I can see the links in it and I understand how this thing down here affected this thing over here at the very end, right? It's like when you're airplane, if you're off by just... Well, in a few degrees, what happens when you travel a couple? When they analyze aircraft accidents, they talk about breaking a chain because it's very rarely one small thing. It's a chain of events, and all it takes is one person in the cockpit to say, "Hey, this doesn't look right." Then someone else will notice it, and that's called breaking the chain. And sadly, we have to break the chain right now. We've run out of time. Jesse, you are extraordinary guest. Thank you, and he's pleasure to be here. Extremely good chef. I mean, do we do we have a just? Say the three courses you made that I got to eat recently. So we we did uh, we did uh, an Atlantic cod with a citrus for blanc that was poached in coconut milk and honey. Um, we did. Uh, we That's did what I had last night too. A, sure. We did. Uh, oh, and the salad was um, it was just a skewer of it was a cabrese salad, but on a, a skewer, and then the dessert was um, a cappuccino brownie with. Uh, and whipped coconut cream milk for, you know. And Did because, you go over to my house and look what well, I was having? Because he's an artist, it was, it, was all his, it was presented just the way you would find in a five-star restaurant. Well, he's that, good. 
That is fantastic. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciated it. Jesse, too. thank you so much for coming on. Sorry to rush us out. We need to uh, get out of here, but congratulations on your recovery. And we're going to introduce you to someone in just a second whose wife owns two restaurants. So we're going to work on that. Outstanding. <laughs> for Randall Carlisle, I'm Trip Mitchell saying thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone.